Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad Baruch Shem Kehud Malkuto Le'olam Va'ed Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be the name of the glory of His kingdom forever and ever. Amen. Good morning, Mishpacha. Welcome to the Daily Audio Torah. I'm Laura Densmore, your host, and I'm so glad you're joining in with me today. Today is Monday, June 19th. In Revelation 1.8, Yeshua says of himself, I am the Alpha and Omega, the Aleph and Tav, the beginning and the ending, says the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. Did you know that if you read Genesis 1.1 in Hebrew, there is an Aleph Tav right smack dab in the middle of that verse? Truly, Yeshua, the Aleph Tav, is there in the beginning and the end. So, if you were reading your Bible in Hebrew, whenever you come across Aleph Tav, this is a direct reference to Yeshua. The acronym for Daily Audio Torah is D-A-T. In Hebrew, that is Dalit Aleph Tav. When you unpack that in the ancient Hebrew picture language, what it means is this, Doorway to the Aleph Tav. The Daily Audio Torah is your doorway to the Aleph Tav, your doorway to Yeshua. Are you being blessed by this ministry? Please consider supporting Daily Audio Torah. You can make a one-time or a recurring donation by going to dailyaudiotorah.com and then click on the Give pick on the navigation menu. You can then make a secure online donation there. Thank you for your prayers. And thank you for your support. Now let's continue our journey through the entire Bible in one year. This week we are reading from the New Living Translation for the Hebrew Scriptures and for the Brit Hadashah. Today we continue the Torah portion, Korah. Numbers 16, 16-30 And Moses said to Korah, You and all your followers must come here tomorrow and present yourselves before the Lord. Aaron will also be here. You and each of your 250 followers must prepare an incense burner and put incense on it so you can all present them before the Lord. Aaron will also bring his incense burner. So each of these men prepared an incense burner, lit the fire, and placed incense on it. Then they all stood at the entrance of the tabernacle with Moses and Aaron. Meanwhile, Korah had stirred up the entire community against Moses and Aaron, and they all gathered at the tabernacle entrance. Then the glorious presence of the Lord appeared to the whole community. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Get away from all these people, so I may instantly destroy them. But Moses and Aaron fell face down on the ground. O God, they pleaded, you are the God who gives breath to all creatures. Must you be angry with all the people when only one man sins? And the Lord said to Moses, Then tell all the people to get away from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. 
So Moses got up and rushed over to the tents of Dathan and Abiram, followed by the elders of Israel. Quick, he told the people, get away from the tents of these wicked men, and don't touch anything that belongs to them. If you do, you will be destroyed for their sins. So all the people stood back from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Then Dathan and Abiram came out and stood at the entrances of their tents, together with the wives, children, and little ones. And Moses said, This is how you will know that the Lord has sent me to do all these things that I have done, for I have not done them on my own. If these men die a natural death, or if nothing unusual happens, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord does something entirely new, and the ground opens its mouth and swallows them, and all their belongings, and they go down alive into the grave, then you will know that these men have shown contempt for the Lord. First Kings 20, 1-21-29 About that time, King Ben-Hadad of Aram mobilized his army, supported by the chariots and horses of thirty-two allied kings. They went to besiege Samaria, the capital of Israel, and launched attacks against it. Ben-Hadad sent messengers into the city to relay this message to King Ahab of Israel. This is what Ben-Hadad says, Your silver and gold are mine, and so are your wives and the best of your children. All right, my lord the king, Israel's king replied, All that I have is yours. Soon Ben-Hadad's messengers returned again and said, This is what Ben-Hadad says. I have already demanded that you give me your silver, gold, wives, and children. But about this time tomorrow I will send my officials to search your palace and the homes of your officials. They will take away everything that you consider valuable. Then Ahab summoned all the elders of the land and said to them, Look how this man is stirring up trouble. I already agreed with his demand that I give him my wives and children in silver and gold. Don't give in to any more demands, all the elders and the people advised. So Ahab told the messengers from Ben-Hadad, Say this to my lord the king, I will give you everything you asked for the first time, but I cannot accept this last demand of yours. So the messengers returned to Ben-Hadad with that response. Then Ben-Hadad sent this message to Ahab, May the gods strike me and even kill me if there remains enough dust from Samaria to provide even a handful for each of my soldiers. The king of Israel sent back this answer, A warrior putting on his sword for battle should not boast like a warrior who has already won. Ahab's reply reached Ben-Hadad and the other kings as they were drinking in their tents. Prepare to attack, Ben-Hadad commanded his officers, so they prepared to attack the city. Then a certain prophet came to see King Ahab of Israel and told him, This is what the Lord says, Do you see all these enemy forces? Today I will hand them all over to you, then you will know that I am the Lord. Ahab asked, How will he do it? And the prophet replied, This is what the Lord says. 
The troops of the provincial commanders will do it. Should we attack first? Ahab asked. Yes, the prophet answered. So Ahab mustered the troops of the 232 provincial commanders. Then he called out the rest of the army of Israel, some 7,000 men. About noontime, as Ben-Hadad and the 32 allied kings were still in their tents drinking themselves into a stupor, the troops of the provincial commanders marched out of the city as the first contingent. As they approached, Ben-Hadad's scouts reported to him, Some troops are coming from Samaria. Take them alive, Ben-Hadad commanded, whether they have come for peace or for war. But Ahab's provincial commanders and the entire army had now come out to fight. Each Israelite soldier killed his Aramean opponent, and suddenly the entire Aramean army panicked and fled. The Israelites chased them, but King Ben-Hadad and a few of his charioteers escaped on horses. However, the king of Israel destroyed the other horses and chariots and slaughtered the Arameans. Afterward, the prophet said to King Ahab, Get ready for another attack. Begin making plans now, for the king of Aram will come back next spring. After their defeat, Ben-Hadad's officers said to him, The Israelite gods are gods of the hills. That is why they won. But we can beat them easily on the plains. Only this time replace the kings with field commanders. Recruit another army like the one you lost. Give us the same number of horses, chariots, and men, and we will fight against them on the plains. There's no doubt that we will beat them. So King Ben-Hadad did as they suggested. The following spring he called up the Aramean army and marched out against Israel, this time at Aphek. Israel then mustered its army, set up supply lines, and marched out for battle. But the Israelite army looked like two little flocks of goats in comparison to the vast Aramean forces that filled the countryside. Then the man of God went to the king of Israel and said, This is what the Lord says. The Arameans have said, The Lord is a God of the hills and not of the plains. So I will defeat this vast army for you. Then you will know that I am the Lord. The two armies camped opposite each other for seven days, and on the seventh day the battle began. The Israelites killed 100,000 Aramean foot soldiers in one day. The rest fled into the town of Aphek, but the wall fell on them and killed another 27,000. Ben-Hadad fled into the town and hid in a secret room. Ben-Hadad's officers said to him, Sir, we have heard that the kings of Israel are merciful, so let's humble ourselves by wearing burlap around our waists and putting ropes on our heads and surrender to the king of Israel. Then perhaps he will let you live. So they put on burlap and ropes, and they went to the king of Israel and begged, Your servant Ben-Hadad says, Please let me live. The king of Israel responded, Is he still alive? He is my brother. The men took this as a good sign and quickly picked up on his words. Yes, they said, your brother Ben-Hadad. Go and get him, the king of Israel told them. And when Ben-Hadad arrived, Ahab invited him up into his chariot. Ben-Hadad told him, I will give back the towns my father took from your father, and you may establish places of trade in Damascus 
as my father did in Samaria. Then Ahab said, I will release you under these conditions. So they made a new treaty, and Ben-Hadad was set free. Meanwhile, the Lord instructed one of the group of prophets to say to another man, Hit me. But the man refused to hit the prophet. Then the prophet told him, Because you have not obeyed the voice of the Lord, a lion will kill you as soon as you leave me. And when he had gone, a lion did attack and kill him. Then the prophet turned to another man and said, Hit me. So he struck the prophet and wounded him. The prophet placed a bandage over his eyes to disguise himself, and then waited beside the road for the king. As the king passed by, the prophet called out to him, Sir, I was in the thick of battle, and suddenly a man brought me a prisoner. He said, Guard this man. If for any reason he gets away, you will either die or pay a fine of seventy-five pounds of silver. But while I was busy doing something else, the prisoner disappeared. Well, it's your own fault, the king replied. You have brought the judgment on yourself. Then the prophet quickly pulled the bandage from his eyes, and the king of Israel recognized him as one of the prophets. The prophet said to him, This is what the Lord says, Because you have spared the man I said must be destroyed. Now you must die in his place, and your people will die instead of his people. So the king of Israel went home to Samaria, angry and sullen. Now there was a man named Naboth from Jezreel, who owned a vineyard in Jezreel beside the palace of King Ahab of Samaria. One day Ahab said to Naboth, Since your vineyard is so convenient to my palace, I would like to buy it to use as a vegetable garden. I will use you... I will give you a better vineyard in exchange, or, if you prefer, I will pay you for it. But Naboth replied, The Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance that was passed down by my ancestors. So Ahab went home angry and sullen because of Naboth's answer. The king went to bed with his face to the wall and refused to eat. What's the matter? his wife Jezebel asked him. What's made you so upset that you're not eating? I asked Naboth to sell me his vineyard or trade it, but he refused, Ahab told her. Are you the king of Israel or not? Jezebel demanded. Get up and eat something and don't worry about it. I'll get you Naboth's vineyard. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name, sealed them with his seal, and sent them to the elders and other leaders of the town where Naboth lived. In her letters she commanded, Call the citizens together for a time of fasting and give Naboth a place of honor and then seat two scoundrels across from him, who will accuse him of cursing God and the king. Then take him out and stone him to death. So the elders and other town leaders followed the instructions that Jezebel had written in the letters. They called for a fast and put Naboth at a prominent place before the people. Then the town scoundrels came and sat down across from him. And they accused Naboth before all the people, saying, He is—he cursed God and the king. So he was dragged outside the town and stoned to death. When Jezebel heard the news, she said to Ahab, You know the vineyard Naboth wouldn't sell you? Well, you can have it now. He's dead. So Ahab immediately went down to the vineyard 
of Naboth to claim it. But the Lord said to Elijah, Go down to meet King Ahab of Israel, who rules in Samaria. He will be at Naboth's vineyard in Jezreel, claiming it for himself. Give him this message. This is what the Lord says. Wasn't it enough that you killed Naboth? Must you rob him too? Because you have done this, dogs will lick your blood at the very place where they licked the blood of Naboth. So my enemy, you have found me, Ahab exclaimed to Elijah. Yes, Elijah answered, I have come because you have sold yourself to what is evil in the Lord's sight. So now the Lord says, I will bring disaster on you and consume you. I will destroy every one of your male descendants, slave and free alike, anywhere in Israel. I am going to destroy your family as I did the family of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, and the family of Basha, the son of Ahijah, for you have made me very angry and have led Israel into sin. And regarding Jezebel, the Lord says, Dogs will eat Jezebel's body at the plot of land in Jezreel. The members of Ahab's family who die in the city will be eaten by dogs, and those who die in the field will be eaten by vultures. No one else so completely sold himself to what was evil in the Lord's sight, as Ahab did under the influence of his wife Jezebel. His worst outrage was worshipping idols, just as the Amorites had done, the people whom the Lord had driven out from the land ahead of the Israelites. But when Ahab heard this message, he tore his clothing, dressed in burlap, and fasted. He even slept in burlap and went about in deep mourning. Then another message from the Lord came to Elijah. Do you see how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has done this, I will not do what I promised during his lifetime. It will happen to his sons. I will destroy his dynasty. Acts 12, 24-13-15 Meanwhile, the word of God continued to spread, and there were many new believers. When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission to Jerusalem, they returned, taking John Mark with them. Among the prophets and teachers of the church at Antioch of Syria were Barnabas, Simeon called the black man, Lucius from Cyrene, Manaam, the childhood companion of King Herod Antipas, and Saul. One day, as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, The Holy Spirit said, Appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. So Barnabas and Saul were sent out by the Holy Spirit. They went down to the seaport of Seleucia and then sailed for the island of Cyprus. There, in the town of Salamis, they went to the Jewish synagogues and preached the word of God. John Mark went with them as their assistant. Afterward, they traveled from town to town across the entire island until finally they reached Paphos, where they met a Jewish sorcerer, a false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He had attached himself to the governor, Sergius Paulus, who was an intelligent man. 
the governor invited Barnabas and Saul to visit him, for he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elimus the sorcerer, as his name means in Greek, interfered and urged the governor to pay no attention to what Barnabas and Saul said. He was trying to keep the governor from believing. Saul, also known as Paul, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he looked at the sorcerer in the eye, and then he said, You son of the devil, full of every sort of deceit and fraud, an enemy of all that is good, will you never stop perverting the true ways of the Lord? Watch now, for the Lord has laid his hand of punishment upon you, and you will be struck blind. You will not see the sunlight for some time. Instantly, mist and darkness came over the man's eyes, and he began groping around, begging for someone to take his hand and lead him. When the governor saw what had happened, he became a believer, for he was astonished at the teaching about the Lord. Paul and his companions then left Paphos by ship for Pamphylia, landing at the port town of Perga. There John Mark left them and returned to Jerusalem. But Paul and Barnabas traveled inland to Antioch of Pisidia. On the Sabbath they went to the synagogue for the service. After the usual readings from the books of Moses and the prophets, those in charge of the service sent them this message, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, come and give it. Psalm 137, 1-9 Beside the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept as we thought of Jerusalem. We put away our harps, hanging them on the branches of poplar trees. For our captors demanded a song from us. Our tormentors insisted on a joyful hymn. Sing us one of those songs of Jerusalem. But how? How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a pagan land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget how to play the harp. May my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I fail to remember you, if I don't make Jerusalem my greatest joy. O Lord, remember what the Edomites did on the day the armies of Babylon captured Jerusalem. Destroy it, they yelled. Level it to the ground. O Babylon, you will be destroyed. Happy is the one who pays you back for what you have done to us. Happy is the one who takes your babies and smashes them against the rocks. Proverbs 17.16 It is senseless to pay to educate a fool, since he has no heart for learning. I'd like to speak to you today from our reading from 1 Kings chapter 20 and 21. And in these two chapters, we see how Ahab and Jezebel are totally corrupting the life and the community of Israel, the northern kingdom up in the Shomron, Samaria. So we see that in chapter 21 that Ahab covets the vineyard of Naboth, which is next door to him, next to the palace. He goes to Naboth and he says, hey, I'd like to buy your vineyard or give you some other vineyard and swap. 
but your vineyard is nice. It's next to my palace. Will you please do this? And Naboth says, no, this has been in my family for generations. And he refuses the king. So then he comes home and he's moping and Jezebel, his wife, says, what's wrong? And he tells her the situation. She says, don't worry, I'll take care of everything. So what she does is she arranges for a banquet in town. And then she tells the elders of the city, I want you to put two scoundrels across from Naboth and have them falsely accuse him of cursing God and cursing the king. And then take him out and have him stoned. So the false accusation comes forth. And this is exceedingly wicked, because in the end, Naboth's blood is spilled. And as I read this story today, what came to my mind is there are some exceedingly wicked things that are going on in our world and in the United States. Recently, Donald Trump was accused and charged with taking classified documents and they weren't in the possession of the Library of Congress. They were with him locked up in a safe in Mar-a-Lago. The FBI raided his home some months ago. And these were normal papers that any president, ex-president would have. But they have trumped up these charges because they are basically interfering in an election. They don't want him to run because they know he will win. And so recently he was indicted on those charges. He's been falsely accused on ridiculous charges. And now he's been indicted. And the injustice, we have a Department of Justice, a Department of Injustice. And it has been weaponized. And it's like we are living in a banana republic. And in the same way that Naboth was falsely accused and then executed, summarily executed, they basically want to take Trump out so he cannot run. And this is so evil. And what we see in this story is that there is a spirit of Jezebel and Ahab. We have the actual literal people who lived, who operated in such a, an evil way. And it says in verse 25, No one else so completely sold himself to what was evil in the Lord's sight as Ahab did under the influence of his wife Jezebel. So he's under the influence of his wife. And the Jezebel spirit is a manipulation control spirit. And I believe it is that same spirit that is um, energizing and driving the Babylon, the harlot, that's described in Revelation. And she's got a big goblet and the nations drink from that goblet and they get drunk. So the whole deep state apparatus, the construction of the end time beast system is all about control and tyranny. And it's the spirit of Jezebel behind it, because she's all about control. And so we see CCTV cameras going up everywhere. 
We see a global digital ID passport that they are proposing. We see the WHO pandemic treaty being majorly revised so that if, not if, but when the next pandemic happens, all of the nations of the earth who sign on to this treaty, which does include the United States, will have no sovereignty, that it'll be the WHO that decides to declare the pandemic and to determine what the measures should be. So it's more medical tyranny is coming. So behind all that, I believe, is a Jezebel spirit and an Ahab spirit. Very, very evil, very wicked. And so what do we do in light of all of this? We're living in the days of the end times. The Jezebel spirit is freely working and operating in many, many governments, not just the United States, but in many governments. I'm thinking of Justin Trudeau and what he did to the truckers when they peacefully protested the COVID jab um, extreme measures. And he froze their bank accounts. And if anybody donated at the GoFundMe site, even if you donated 20 bucks, he froze people's bank accounts who even donated to the truckers. So the true face of tyranny was very much exposed. And what can we do? We can pray. We can unite together. And as an example of of how that works in a really successful way, we see Bud Light, when they tried to promote their beer with a trans individual, their sales have gone down by billions. No one's drinking Bud Light beer. And we see with Target trying to introduce woke trans clothing, even for toddlers and children, which is basically grooming them for pedophilia, we saw that Target sales went down by billions and nobody's shopping at Target because we don't want to support that. So there are things we can do to push back. Ultimately, it'll be Yeshua himself who will return and who's going to clean up this mess. So these are challenging and difficult times. And we can read these stories from the Old Testament and glean some wisdom and some truths from them. Prayer is huge. We need to pray and then we can act peacefully by being non-compliant with the tyrannical measures. We just don't comply. And now let's wrap up with Psalm 137. Beside the rivers of Babylon we sat and we wept as we thought of Jerusalem and we put away our harps, hanging them on branches of poplar trees. Our captors demanded a song from us. The tormentors insisted on a joyful hymn. Sing us one of those songs of Jerusalem. How? How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a pagan land? That really captures the heart and the spirit of where we are right now. America is a pagan land. It's no longer the land of the free and the home of the brave. It has been fundamentally transformed and changed. And it's being changed into a Marxist, communist nation. We've been infiltrated from within. 
and we're in a pagan land. And so our ultimate home that we need to remember as pilgrims, we are just passing through, we are sojourners just passing through, our ultimate home will be Jerusalem, and Yeshua will be the king of Israel, the king of the nations, and he will rule and reign for 1,000 years from Jerusalem. So one day we will be in the land of Israel. How we get there, time will tell. Will it be a miraculous translation? Will we get on a boat? Will we walk? Will we fly? Time will tell, but the Lord will surely do it. Yeshua will ingather the exiles of Israel and bring them home. In the meantime, we cry out and we say, Come, bow, Yeshua, bow, come. Please enjoy this beautiful worship song, Psalm 137, sung by Sons of Korah. By the rivers there we sat, in Babylon we sat and we wept, and upon the willow trees hung our harps for we remember zion Are 
Blessed is He. Blessed is He. Blessing from Numbers chapter 6, 24 to 26. Adonai bless you and keep you. Adonai make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Adonai lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. <laughs> 